Good evening, everybody. We are here with the last Q&A for this month. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Unless the Lord comes <laughs> before next Saturday. <laughs> so we do not know. The world says, the word says, always look expectantly up. The book of Hebrews 9 says, for those who are looking expectantly up, he will come without sin. It's an awesome promise. So this evening we are here, tons of questions. Again, we'll have backlog. So we'll try to finish as many as we can. But once again, we just thank you. Some of the questions are like fantastic. It causes us to think. think. Absolutely. Things which we had forgotten. When we look at a question, the Holy Spirit brings us to remembrance, the answers. And some of the questions are really, really uh, important questions which helps a lot of people. We see that our Q&A is a hit. Hmm. Lots and lots of people who listen to Q&A. So we just thank God for every one of you who sends the questions. And even today we pray the answers will be true to the word of God, true to the person of Christ as we heard in the morning and true to the spirit of God. Hmm. So Father, this evening we come at this time into thy hands, ourselves into thy hands. Everyone who is listening will listen into thy hands, I hmm. pray. The questions and the answers will be a blessing, Lord. Amen. Yes, For the Lord. word of God is full of questions. And the answer is you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Help us, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. And be with us, all of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, uh, there's an overflow from the last week. Pastor, the one question which we <coughs> think I think we should address first. This is question number 13. Question number 13. It says, uh, what are the various kinds of veils or filters that hinder people from accepting Christ as Lord? In your opinion, what is the most difficult veil that clouds the heart and the mind? The most difficult, which is interesting, the most difficult veil... Uh, can I have that words where Jesus says, I have not come to save the righteous? Uh, it's uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Okay. Yeah. I think I think that is one. I'm sorry. Is it one? Is it what it is? Oh, wait. Luke 5.32. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Okay, This is the biggest block. It's interesting that the biggest block for people for coming to Christ, accepting Christ, is religion. The works of religion. Because those who are religious think their religious activities, whichever religion, like I said, I've said it in the past, every religion has a law, mm. has a law. And as you try to subscribe to the law, it makes you righteous. It's the righteousness that comes from the law. Mm. Okay, even in India, who is a dharmic is somebody who adheres to dharma. Dharma, yes. Okay, mm. so mm. every religion has a dharma or a law. And the one who adheres to it is the one who becomes dharmic. Mm. And Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Yeah, that does not mean he's not calling the righteous, but the righteous will not repent. Mm-hmm. Righteous will not repent. Because the repentance, what 
Jesus, the Bible is talking about like, uh, if we can have Hebrews 6 and verse 1. Okay, uh, let me see which translation you put up. Because some translations don't bring the, uh, it is not, uh, yeah, okay. Repentance from dead works. Mm. Now that's not what uh, religion says. Religion says repentance from bad works. Mm. Yes. Religions from bad works. In no religion will they ask you to repent from good works. Tell me one religion. Every religion has this concept about repentance. Paschataap karo. Yes. Okay, paschataap mm, karo. Yeah, that's there in a religion. Religion mm. has paschataap. But the issue is, no religion will tell you you need to repent right. from, exactly. from good works. Absolutely. Except mm. Christ. Yes. Because what happens is, in religion, your trust for your salvation is in your good works. Mm, mm, is mm. in your good works. Okay? The five pillars of Islam. That's his trust in. That's his trust in. Or the eight or whatever jewels of Buddhism. That's what their trust is in. Or the Gita in, uh, in, uh, Hinduism or whichever tenant you follow, that is what they trust in. That causes you to be righteous. And that righteousness, if there is a concept about heaven and hell and judgment day, whatever different forms they have, it is that righteousness that stands for you. Like if you look at the karmic, this thing, your righteousness should outweigh your evil and you will cross over. So different concepts are there. So they are based on the righteousness of the law. Christ comes and says, repent from all those works. Your righteousness will never take you to heaven. Mm. All your good works will not make you one inch closer to God. So you have to repent from your works which are dead, which are both your evil, meaning your evil works you have to repent and you should repent from trusting in your good works. Mm. Yes. Okay? That your evil works will take you to hell and your good works will take you to heaven. Stop both. There's only one way you can go. It is by the work of Christ Jesus. You repent and you look like we have seen in the past two weeks. God has put the iniquity of us all on him. And when we believe one, we repent from our evil works. We repent from our trust in our good works. Put our trust only in him and his work. That is faith towards God, the second one. Faith towards mm-hmm. God. Putting faith towards God is that I'm putting my trust only in the work of God. If you look at uh, uh, Romans 3, I think 21, 22, oh, yes. right? That's right. Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness. Yeah. Yes. Now the righteousness of God, apart from, apart from the law, is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God. This is not the righteousness of works. Ah. This is the righteousness of God God. through faith in Christ Mm. Jesus to all and all who believe. Mm. For there is no difference. Mm. Right? Verse 23. No difference. For all have sinned, sinned, fall short of the glory of God. So when we repent from our sins Mm. and repent from our trust in our good works, that is dead works. Sin and good works together is dead works. Both are dead. That's why God says in Isaiah, your righteousness is like filthy rags before 61.6. Yeah. Righteousness. He's not saying your evil deeds. So the simple thing is that we are all an unclean thing. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Mm. Now think about simple thing logic. 
if my righteousness before i got saved okay if my righteousness is like filthy rags before him what are my sins oh. so what are my sins before him so i have to repent from my sins because every sin i sinned against god and primarily robbed him of his glory Mm. robbed him of his glory because creation should reflect his glory and every time i sinned i marred his glory i came short mm. of what i was expected so i have to repent from my sins to i should repent from trusting in my works because what my works is like filthy rags mm. before him so the biggest block <coughs> actually if you look in the world the biggest block is not sin <coughs> biggest block is the trust of people in their righteousness because sinners were flocking in that's what jesus was telling the pharisees the two categories the publicans and the harlots in their in their this thing these were the lowest two categories the tax collectors and the harlots mm. this is they are getting in so sinners will receive the message very fast because the sinner knows he's a sinner and is looking who will save me who will save me and god says put your trust in my son in his work so sinners the one who has a concept i am a sinner i have no hope i don't know he will listen to the message and he will get saved but on the other hand the one who thinks he's righteous his righteousness becomes a block that is what jesus was saying in luke 5:32 i have not come to call the righteous to repentance but the sinners it does not mean the righteous are not called to sinners basically he's saying there is nobody who is righteous mm. there is nobody who is righteous it's very difficult for a righteous man to accept, accept that he is not righteous the bible says there is no one who is righteous no one who does god no one who seeks god no. nobody because the righteousness of religion is a very selfish it is mm. not the righteousness of god yes. it is not seeking god it is not seeking his ways it is trying to make your own way into heaven so that you don't go to hell motive is completely different there is actually <laughs> nothing about god over there motive is self mm. okay so that's the biggest block yes master which Uh, the uh, one of the examples that you also actually also um, mentioned about this it says that uh, for job the most difficult thing for yeah, god to do was to break his righteousness that is trust in self righteousness what lengths that god has yeah, to go has in order to, to, to break his trust in his self righteousness and he's a righteous man god says that mm. your problem is you're a good man and you're relying on that and even you can't make it by relying on it he's caught between these two of his righteousness and the need for a redeemer but when he says he wants a redeemer he only wants a redeemer to stand as an advocate for his righteousness and plead his plead his cause with god <laughs> not that he's a sinner that he's a righteous would he please let him in okay and that was that was okay and what caused him finally to repent what caused him to that's what he see the wrath of elihu the son of bakkabus and the family of ram was aroused against job his wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather, rather than god while the sinner justifies god. god thank you lord all your ways are right if you judge me and send you to me to hell you are right hmm. i am worthy of only but i'm pleading for mercy and god says because you put your trust in my son and his work i will show you mercy Mm. he paid the price do you believe i believe do you believe he rose rose on the third day i believe he says forgive us oh. no walk in faith go through the other walk by faith and mm. faith unto faith only 
Yes, Pastor Vijay. Wow. So, so when he's born, in Job 42, when he says he repents in ashes, it's because actually he has a vision of the righteousness of God. That's when he abhors, when he says, I therefore abhor myself and repent in dust and... Why? When he says, uh, now my eyes have seen you, what is he saying? What does he mean by that? Did you see God? He says, I saw your righteousness. And in the light of your righteousness, I am filthy. I am full. And I abhor myself, repent in dust. So if you look at Job 1, 1, and then if that man has to abhor himself and <laughs> repent and dust that action, then you know. what is our condition? Now, whatever are we going to be other than trusting in Jesus Christ? We are going nowhere. Nowhere. Okay, nowhere. Wow. So that's the biggest block. The biggest block is for actually genuine religious people. Righteousness becomes a block. Okay, well, sinners make it very easily. because sinner knows he has no hope. Yes, that's Vijay. <coughs> Also, another question. This is question number 16. <coughs> also slightly different, but I think uh, uh, 16, yeah. Is there a specific thing an altar exemplifies in each of our lives? Is an altar different with different people? No. Altar is not different. Your consecration is different. Hmm. Altar is the same for everybody. Hmm. Altar is the same. It's only one altar. When we entered into the temple, there were not multiple altars. The altar was one. It was one altar. So what happens is, what we have to consecrate will be different. Hmm. Pastor Vijay may be consecrated in area where I may not be consecrated at all. Hmm. I may be consecrated in a completely different area where he is not consecrated. Yes. So it is the altar that sanctifies us. Hmm. It's not different altars for different people. Our sacrifices are different. Yes. Other than the common sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise, what we offer over there will be different because it is different from its different people with which they struggle to give up, mm. to offer to God. No, So it is not the altar. It is what we, you know, a lot of, lot of some people may struggle with submission. Yes. Some people may struggle with loving others. Some people may struggle with jealousy. These are all, but these all have to be put on the altar. And the altar will consume it and the altar sanctifies you. Mm. It has to be constant until it is fully consumed because it's a living sacrifice. With a dead sacrifice, you know, because you know the end of it, the fire consume it, and finally you know it is consumed and gone. But this is not a dead sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. So how long do you have to keep doing it until it is gone? It is being consumed. It's being consumed. It's being consumed. It's consumed. One day you wake up and you realize it's not there. I have forgiven I have no tinge of unforgiveness towards, let us say, a particular person. It's, I'm actually able to love and bless and not curse. Okay, so it will depend because it's a living sacrifice. Until it is consumed, you have to do it, whatever it is, and the altar has the power to sanctify. Power so, to Pastor, sanctify. When you're saying the altar, it means you're still talking about the cross, right? The cross as the altar. Yeah, the cross. The, the it is not. Uh, I mean in the. We are not talking about the cross we pick up and walk. Of course, yeah. Okay. The, it's, it's, it's a spiritual thing. Yeah. It's a spiritual thing. If you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you want to look at the cross of Jesus Christ as the altar. Uh, yes, it was on the cross that he was offered. But it's simple to think about 
as an altar where the burnt offerings mm. were placed. Mm. Okay, simple. That Lord, I am coming to you, and I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice. Consume me, Lord. Whatever is like no, and we know when we go over there, the Holy Spirit will show what you have to offer. Areas which we don't struggle, which has been sanctified, He does not ask you to offer because He's already using those areas. It is the unused areas which He wants us to offer. Hmm. Like the Bible says, offer the instruments, instruments of, of your, your body. body. Yes. So there will be instruments which has been offered and instruments which are not offered. Mm -hmm. So the instruments that have been offered, he's using. But the instruments, that we are just using as an example, yeah. but yeah. it's other than that, it's basically our mind, our yeah. soul, our thinking, whichever areas we still fight him. Pulling, because it has to be brought, Corinthians 10 says, brought to the complete obedience of Christ Jesus. In this case, it is complete. Thy will and not my will. And when we come to that, you know, Paul reaches that towards the end, not in between. Mm. Not in between. But by the time he comes to the end, it's a complete, total obedience. And how did it come? It's by constant offering to the Lord. Constant offering to the Lord. Mm. Yes. <coughs> Pastor, this is another question. Question number 19. <coughs> uh, what holds you back from obtaining the promised assistance as well as sweet fellowship with Jesus. The Bible says sin separates us from God, but we are sinners. Do we fall short every day? I know I fall short every day. The Lord casts his lavish bounties at our doors and we like lowly peasants scarcely look out to thank him. Would you believe it also has to do with our ungrateful hearts and unthankful tongues mar our fellowship by causing us to miss a thousand opportunities for exercising it? Okay, first thing, let me put across this that um, many of the people who write these letters, you are very young in the Lord, maybe older in age. Okay, mm -hmm. young in the Lord, very young in the Lord, but older in age. Let me tell you about sanctification. Sanctification is a process, it does not happen in a day. And when we come to God, Jesus, Jesus um, uh, showed his uh, disciples, a practical example, because they were talking about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Yeah. So Jesus brought a little child and said, you must become like this child to enter into the kingdom of God. See, one thing you have to notice, even when worship is going, practice is going on over there, have you noticed the little children are not self-conscious at all? I'm talking about during the practice. They have a blast. They will run around here. They will play this thing and all. You know what? Meaning they receive the acceptance of their parents and their elders by faith. By faith. And they're very relaxed. They're the most relaxed set of people in the church. Mm. Okay? We have to learn to walk without condemnation. Our Father loves us. Period. Period. Mm. Okay? Mm. He knows what we are. He saved us. And he loves unconditionally. Okay, unconditionally. So all the directions in the Bible are not to sin. But again he says in 1 John 2, 1, if you sin, these yeah. are the ways out. Okay, ways out. Okay, you have an advocate. Little children, I write to you that you do not sin. But if you don't sin, don't sit there and moan and this. come to me. You have an advocate who speaks for you, confessing the blood of Jesus. So, 
when we are talking about this, another question also, if I am right, we are not talking about sinlessness. Mm. We are talking about being blameless one day at a time. Okay? To be blameless, if you go back again to the foundations of faith, to be blameless, there are always two things. One is repentance. The other is obedience. Obedience, yes, yes. Repent from the things you did not mm. obey and obey the things which has been told to you. You walk in fellowship. You walk in fellowship. If people are expecting an ecstatic, extraterrestrial experience mm. and all, that is not walk with God. Mm. It is like two people walk simple. That's why we've been looking in church of a walk of a husband and a wife. Mm. A husband and a wife. What is the fundamental thing about a husband and a wife? In fellowship, there is peace. There is peace. There is no conflict. Second, there is intimacy. Intimacy does not mean they talk all the time. Sometimes they don't even have to talk at all. But they know there is one, there is no conflict. Two, they know there is agreement. Yes. There is agreement. You know, like actually when couples who are married get older and older, they talk less. They don't talk more, they talk less. They can sit together and do their own thing, but there is this intimacy. Because why? Most of your areas of your life, they overlap. Mm. That is what it means, oneness. It's basically oneness. There's no conflict. Mm. But where there is conflict, Mm. there is no intimacy, therefore there is no fellowship. Fellowship does not mean primarily that you talk. Okay, there is talking. Okay, there is conversation, but basically it is what you call a oneness of mind. That is what the Bible is talking about. The two shall be one. Mm-hmm. Two shall be one. Okay, and, and the conversation are primarily aimed at the areas where oneness has to be worked out. But there has to be liberty, because uh, man is a man and a woman is a woman. You don't have to agree on a lot of things. It's irrelevant. You can have to have your own opinions. It's fine. It's fine. No, there's this. Are some, sometimes you need to understand because my wife was showing me a forward somebody about some husband, wife and a husband in U.S. No, so I don't know. She sent it to me, and it was weird. Okay, it was very weird. I mean, this is it was all there in their Christian this thing. News and uh, no, not news. What do you call it? Okay, I don't know where it went. Okay, she sent. Uh, it is about. Uh, condi- yeah, yeah, it is there. Okay, Christian couple. This is okay. This is their condition. Okay, two people. Their rules was married to zero tolerance policy for pornography. That I understand. Neither she nor her husband are permitted to be alone with members of the opposite sex. No friends with the opposite sex. No texting the opposite sex without the other knowing. Okay. Now you know what? When you put that kind of rules in a marriage, that means there is no trust. Hmm. And there is terrible insecurity. Where there is no trust and insecurity, a relationship will never thrive. If you look at those, because... Any rules you put has to agree with scripture. What do you say about Jesus with the Samaritan woman after he sent all the twelve disciples away? Mm. Can you trust him with a woman again? 
It's a note with a woman. And she's a woman without not a good reputation. So we need to understand, we have to be very, I'm talking about in a marriage. If you're going to restrict your husband or your wife, they will never become what God wants them to become. Never become what God wants to be become. Relationship, I'm saying, you should have rules, you should have boundaries. Yes, yes. there should be rules and boundaries. Okay, but relationship is not built on rules and boundaries. Mm. It is built on trust. trust. Yep. Okay, that is why first in a relationship, trust has to be built. Once trust has to be built, is built like you no. Know, if God trusts you, and you earn God's trust. There are no rules. That's exactly what it means. The rules are written in your heart. Mm. There are no outside rules. It is written in your heart. You don't need outside. When you make these kind of rules, it has outside walls. But outside walls will never, the entire history of Israel, it's a law never works. Yep. Law never works. That's why God is creating a new, new person. So when you are talking about relationship with Jesus, you need to realize it is inward. The law is written inside. Inside, okay. And sometimes we look at it and say, wow, look at their rules. They must have a very close, intimate relationship. And actually you realize it is not there. It's no. very destructive and it's very, and actually there is no life in their marriages because it's based on rules. Can you imagine two people getting married and before getting married says, these are the Ten Commandments of our marriage. It won't work. Ultimately, it won't work. Ultimately, if it stays together, it stays because of external factors like children, society, what will people think, or it will break up. Where those external factors don't matter, it will break up. So please understand, I'm not saying there are involves no. and hedges mm -hmm. and rules. But they are from within. Within, exactly. From within. Th this is, yeah. And if they are not from within, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter what rules you have outside. Yes. You will never, never trust your spouse. Yes. Even if he is going out to buy vegetables in the market, you will doubt him with all these rules. Yes. You know? It will not. It will be all. And people need to understand. That's how it works. So when it's talking about God, we have to come to God with that kind of, Lord, you know what, Lord? Be honest with God. Lord, I know I can trust you because of who you are. You're always good. You're always kind. You're always loving. Even when you discipline me, chastise me, scourge me, it's because you love me and because you are good. I can trust you. Please help me to be trustworthy. In, the, in this relationship, the one who is not trustworthy is me. Mm. Trustworthy is me. Okay. Please make me trustworthy where you can trust me. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews 3. In the whole house of God, Moses was faithful, faithful. as a servant. But Jesus was faithful as a son. So we need to ask, Lord, I need both. Mm -hmm. Because also. he was a son and, and he a was servant. a servant. I want to be faithful as a servant mm -hmm. in my service. And I want to be faithful as a son in my relationship. In my relationship. Make me faithful. And like a child, receive the love of the father and walk with him every day. Every day. I've seen it with the little children. With the little children. Honestly, they don't need much entertainment. They just need one parent around them. They will entertain themselves. <laughs> Only thing, once in a while, they look around up to see that you are there. 
That's all they want. You are there. You can do your work. Mm-hmm. And they will do their work. In between, they will come and ask something and don't see that as a disturbance. And empty sing as a joy. God is doing his work. In between the day, we ask him, Lord, and he doesn't see it as a disturbance. <laughs> Be like a little child from the corner of eye. You know your father is there. I am well with my soul. You know, that's Psalm 131. Can I have one Sunday? It's always... It's always been a very powerful psalm for me. Just three verses or four verses. Three verses if I am right. Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. What does it mean? Neither do I concern myself with great matters, <laughs> nor things too profound for me. He says, no. Things which are secret things of God, I am not going to sit there. Is it pre-mid, mid? Or See, I am not going to worry about any of those things. I don't know. But I know one thing, you love me. And you will come for me. Nor with things which are too big for me. Okay? Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child, my soul is within me. Okay? I remember a message of Derek Prince where he says, and I could relate immediately because he was saying, in Africa, he says, you know, he says uh, in the meeting, those years, you know, he says, uh, the, the mothers with the nursing babies will all sit in the front. And I know that in Bhutan also that happens. So whenever the baby is hungry, the mother will take her breast out and feed immediately. Because tribal cultures, they have no these things about it. Okay? So he said, I had to preach looking at the fourth row. Okay. So the minute the baby is uncomfortable, what does the mother do? She weans him. That's what he's talking about. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child (laughs) with his mother. Like a weaned child. What is that? My soul. What do I do? When I'm worried, I drink from the milk of God's word. And I'm comforted. My father loves me. My father cares for me. His eyes are upon me. He does not sleep nor slumber. He will not cause my foot to slip. Even if I walk through. See, all his psalms. All his psalms. If you look at Psalm 23 and Psalm 120. You know what his psalms are? The psalms of a child who's been weaned at his mother's milk. Okay. That's, that's what God is talking about. Walk in that. You have peace. Okay, peace. Yes, Pastor Vijay, I still didn't get that one which I was looking for in the morning. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Pastor, uh, uh, actually, uh, question number 20 is also on the same lines. Uh, yeah. maybe we should possibly address this as well. Okay. 20, 20, 20. If we take God at his word, mm. our ordinary everyday lives should be acting out of his promises to us and our relationships with others should be an energetic vital mirror image of the trustworthy, loving, merciful God that we have come to know. It is really as simple. But why do we struggle to be sinless every day? This that's, is a that's, a, that's a question. We should not struggle to be sinless. We should struggle to be blameless. blameless. Amen. <laughs> as long Absolutely. as there is this flesh, we will fight sin. And that should not be catch us by surprise. Okay, If you turn to Genesis 16 and verse 1. Genesis 16. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him children and she... Or 17 one. 17 one. Not 16, 17. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. 
Imagine God had told Abraham, walk before me and be sinless. Abraham is finished. Cannot be sinless. You cannot be blameless. Sin has two things, two sides of sin. The things which we did, we should not have done. Mm. To the things we should have done, which is the sins of commission and omission. Does any man really know all the things he should do in a day? No way. Does he know the things he shouldn't have done? There's only one man who walked like that. Jesus. Absolutely in tune with the Spirit of God. He knew exactly what was the will of God for him every day. Okay. So there's no man like, man like that. So we cannot be sinless. We cannot be sinless. Okay? But we can be blameless. Okay? We can be blameless. That's what God is talking about. How do we become blameless? Again by the cross. Okay? We repent, we turn to God. And we look at Christ and God says, you are blameless. That's what the Bible says. If any man says he's without sin, that means he's sinless. Oh. And he makes God a liar. Oh. Okay. Am I without sin? No. No way. You're no. all with sin. Oh. So there are many things which I did today which I shouldn't have done. And many things which I should have done. It didn't even cross my mind. I will not even know it unless the Holy Spirit. And I didn't even ask the Holy Spirit what are the things which I should do. How many of us asked? I didn't ask. Therefore, it did say. You do not have because you do not ask. We think it only about things. Did we ask what we should do? So, we are all walking in sin. But we can walk blameless. At the end of the day, we can come and say, Lord, I really know. I haven't done all the things I should have done. have done things which I shouldn't have done. I know that, Lord. So, Father, I again come back to you and ask for mercy. Mm. God is merciful towards those who richly will pardon. Immediately what happens, the Bible says, if you confess, he is faithful. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you of all unrighteousness. When you are cleansed of all unrighteousness, what do you become? Blameless. Blameless. Absolutely. You become blameless. That's what it's talking about. Acting out. We're living out that life one day at a time. Okay, when you live that life out one day, the Bible says you live without condemnation. There's no condemnation. So that's you should to remember. God never condemns. God never condemns you. The devil is the one who condemns. If you try to live a sinless life, you will live under condemnation. Always, because the law will come immediately and condemn you. The law, the enemy will use the law against you. But you can live without condemnation by living blameless. Blameless. And the more you live blameless, the more you hear God telling you. God telling you. Because remember, he's not pleased by your works. He's pleased by his son's work Mm. in which you have believed. Okay? All he's asking us is to do the appointed works which he has appointed for us. Which we will learn as we, oh, this is what you want to me. That's what I said. It's not about doing. It's first about Being. being. And once we become the doing naturally flows. But that's what God is. Then you are sons of your father. Sons of your father. Okay? Because people always think, the whole problem is people have this, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not a bad thing. People look at Moses, people look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these big, big names and says, you know what, Lord, what is my special calling? God says nothing. What are you? Oh, well, I'm a bus driver. Be the best you can be. That's all. 
I'm a teacher. Be the teacher. That's all. You will get a reward as anybody else. Just be faithful. Be. And when you be that, you know what? Your life as a driver or your life as a teacher starts impacting people. Do you think God only wants uh, missionaries? He wants teachers. Mm. He wants doctors. He wants nurses. He wants people in every where they are his witnesses. Amen. Imagine policemen. Think about policemen. Imagine there are a hundred policemen who are godly. The life of Christ flows through. It will make an impact in the city. It will become an impact in the city. Or an auto driver. And we had auto drivers like that in the city. I know about auto drivers in the old days when I used to go in autos. They were Christians. First they go to church. And after that, they stand outside the church. And they take, they don't squabble. They will take their customer right to their home. Exact meter is not tampered. And sometimes they only pick the old ones. And sometimes they take the poor ones and they tell them, Amma, no fare today. And they're just doing it for the Lord. Auto drivers in this city. Witness. And it may be, you know, think about it. They're a witness. They're a witness. They're a witness. So you need to realize a maidservant. Maidservants are the most powerful witnesses. You know what happened? How God (laughs) turns it around. All things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus. When the Maoists took over China, what happened is Christians were well-to-do. They were business people and everything. What they did was that all of them lost their property. What is written in Hebrews was true for them in our generation. They all lost their property, everything. Overnight, Christians became beggars, poor. And they became, they were given the words, the lowest strata of the society, that is maidservant and scavengers. No garbage collectors, all this thing. You know what? But that was from God. Mm. Because when the Christians were rich, they had no access to most homes. When the Christians became poor, they had access to every home. Hallelujah. And they were such... (coughs) Do you know what? They say one of the secrets behind the unbelievable explosion of the underground church in China over the last 50, 60 years is because of this. That the poor, when they became poor, the maidservant, the garbage collectors, every, they carried their witness with them into the houses and they saw the life of Christ in them. And people start getting saved. Okay. Imagine even in here, imagine in Hyderabad, okay, daily maids. A maid will walk into five to seven houses. Imagine she's a godly one. And she works in seven Hindu houses. Wow. They will notice a difference. You are different. The way you come, the way you behave, the way you work, and they will what? See, godliness cannot be hidden. Hidden, yes. It cannot be hidden. A, mm-hmm. Okay, it cannot be hidden. The way you work, the way you behave, <coughs> the way you are. Potiphar's heart immediately said, His God is with him. That's the first thing he said, His God is with him. God is with him. And what was he? He's a servant, he's a slave. So it's not what we're thinking about. There are people, even in this city in Hyderabad, I know that one of the greatest movements of God in big, big houses is through maidservants who are believers. The more believing maidservants in Hyderabad than you think about. There's so many of them. And they're godly. And they're not coming into Haifanda churches. They go to simple Telugu churches. And they're very faithful. Very faithful in their homes where they work. 
and they will pray. When their amma or somebody is ill, they will ask them, can I pray? And they will cover and they will pray. And things happen. And that's how people get saved. I know big people in the city, very, they are not here now, but very big, politically very high families they were. When they got saved, they were saved because of their maidservants. They got saved and they have got rid of their idols, everything. But if you ask their testimony, who was the first one, you will say the maidservant. Even Naman got saved through a maid Yeah, maidservant. Naman got saved through a maidservant. Mm-hmm. Just a servant girl. So that is what people need to realize. If you are looking for this great calling to come, you don't realize you are already called. <laughs> Amen. You're already called. Okay. And some people, when they are faithful in their call, God will call them out. Joseph, sorry, Moses was faithful his father-in-law's sheep. David was faithful in his fa- with his father's sheep. And God called them because he had a different purpose for them. But for most people, no. A faithful mother, a faithful worker, that's all God is looking for. But they are witnesses. They are witnesses. They are witnesses. So, and... Actually, there's a second part of that question again. It says, I want to be sinless every day. Every day, I want to be pure and holy. Is yeah. that impossible? You can be blameless and pure and holy. Holiness is something else. Okay, Sinlessness and holiness are two different things. Okay, You can be holy. Holiness is an impartation from walking with God. Okay, so holiness, please don't misunderstand that in this life on earth, you can be holy only if you are sinless. No, you become holy by the very act of being set apart for God. And that is where the altar comes. Every time you wake up in the morning and surrender yourself to to God, you are setting yourself apart for God and you become holy. And then whichever way God uses you that day, it is holy. It is holy. Okay. I was the vilest sin, all of us. Mm. But Jesus saved me. I get frustrated each time I sin. You should. <laughs> you don't get frustrated each time you sin. That, that is dangerous. Okay. You should be convicted when we sin and do stupid things. I hate sin. But we have to learn to overcome sin. The only way you can overcome sin is by grace. Grace is given to overcome sin. You can overcome sin. It's not that you will overcome all sin, but when you have overcome one sin, God will reveal the next one. Rest one. And sometimes it may not be actions, it will be attitudes, which are more difficult to break than action is very difficult. Don't steal, you will not steal. But you cannot stop coveting. Mm. But you won't steal. You won't steal. But you still covet. So God says it's not about stealing. It's about coveting. Coveting. (laughs) You really want to overcome. Stop coveting. I will help you. And once you stop coveting, you will never even think about going that route. Okay. Stop lusting. Then the action doesn't even come. How do you want to stop the action? Stop. Those attitudes have to be overcome. Attitudes have to be overcome. That's what Bible is talking. And God will show you one by one, by step by step. If you're on the road, that narrow path, He will and take step. you through it. But you have to stay there. Stick you there. Don't, don't give up there. at any time. And no, mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. give up and get discouraged. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Repent and get back, like mm-hmm. like David. Okay, like David. Because that's something which we need to understand. Okay, God, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. God, David lied, David murdered, David committed adultery, all those things, but the Holy Spirit didn't leave him. Wow. 
in life. He couldn't experience, but he's saying, he says he's there. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's not saying, give me the Holy Spirit back. But he's not saying that. The Holy Spirit didn't leave him. These are fundamental things yeah. which you need to understand. The Holy Spirit still didn't leave him. Just like the way it left Saul, he yes. didn't leave him. When yeah. he left but Saul is a rebel. rebel. That's why I always say, there's a difference between a sinner and a rebel, and a rebel who is a sinner. All sinners are not rebels. Rebels are dangerous. You go into that rebellion, and at some point the Holy Spirit will leave you. It will leave you. Okay, so David was a sinner. Saul was a rebel. Saul's sins were lesser compared to David's. But David's heart was different. Saul's heart. Saul's heart was a heart of a rebel. David's heart was never a heart of a rebel. He was never a rebel. Okay, so that's what I always tell young people. I will tell them, now check your heart. Are you a sinner or are you a rebel? If you are a sinner, you have hope. If you are a rebel, you are in trouble. Dangerous ground. It's a very dangerous ground because you know what? Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft. The devil is empowering you. You are being captivated by him to do his will. Be very careful. Maybe the Bible says God will grant you repentance. Doesn't say God will. Maybe. 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 Okay, so that's how we are. So we are all sinners. But that does not mean we continue in the same sin. No, overcome. No, at least fight new battles. Okay, the joy of fighting new battles. That is the book of Joshua. New, 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 new battles. It's a picture saying that you're overcoming, overcoming, overcoming. Finally, they overcome all their enemies and they have peace. And you can end every day in peace. And walk in the day in peace. What known sin God has shown me, I have overcome. And God will give you a season of peace. And then he will say, okay, now I will show you the next one. <laughs> and then, oh, I never knew it was there. God says it was there. <laughs> now fight that. Now fight it. Overcome it. Yes. Pastor, I think question number 18 will be the appropriate corollary for this. It says, uh, times of crisis, moments of grief or hardship, and unexpected turns of events are some of the situations that test our confidence and reveal its true nature. This past year, my confidence in God was put to the test when I was fighting a case and I see there are no signs of breakthrough. Although I can see daily light, daylight robbery taking place, I'm still wondering why does God allow such a thing happen to a brother I was representing? Of course, of course, God loves us so much, but why does this case go on and on and on? I understand the question. Okay, certain things which uh, we need to understand is that, uh, like in this in this situation, we are talking about a case. Okay, but <coughs> certain situations or say certain individuals, what they go through. Like, let us look in the example in the Bible. Uh, the picture of Joseph. Why did Joseph have to go through 13 years of torture? Why did he have to go through? For the sake of his brothers. If Joseph doesn't go through that, his household won't get saved. Hmm. Sometimes God extends certain things. Two reasons. Two things God does. Sometimes God extends a situation in a person's life, one, for the salvation of so many people. Sometimes God extends certain things for the sin of others to be full to destroy them. 
two things happen simultaneously. One people get saved, other people get destroyed. Like the sin of the Amorites are not full yet. Let me ask you this question. Let's put that over there. 15. Genesis. 15 and words, uh, words. 16. 15, sorry. But in the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You look at it. Let me ask you this question. While the iniquity of Amorites are being filled up, what's happening to Israel? Suffering. Israel is suffering and waiting for their redemption. But what is God waiting for? The sin, the cup of Amorites to be full so that he can destroy them. But they will be destroyed only at God's time. But in the process, this set of people have to suffer. Hmm. When you talk about four generations, three generations will die in Egypt. The fourth generation will come out. Three generations died waiting without receiving their promise. Why? Because these people have not reached that level where God will destroy them completely. There are two things that happen simultaneously. Everybody's life is not the same. But the patterns are there. Through our lives, what happens? Some people are saved. What we go through, some people are saved. Some people are destroyed. Some people are destroyed. So sometimes you will see these things goes on and on and on. And in the process, what do we see? So many are being destroyed. So many others. Impossible, we thought. Impossible people get saved. Possible people get. Let's look at the simple example. It's a simple example of Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, one thief got saved. One thief went to hell. (laughs) Now, who would have ever thought about that thief getting saved unless he had seen Jesus' reaction on the cross? He wouldn't have got saved. And therefore, he had to go through it. (laughs) On the other side, this fellow deserved to go to hell. In spite of seeing Jesus. In spite of of seeing Jesus. Jesus. One was a vessel of mercy, the other was a vessel, vessel of wrath. Wow. Closest quarters, two people, three people going through and one person reacting completely different. One repents, the other does not. But yes. Jesus has to go through that for this guy to get. Nothing else will save this man. If he had been crucified on another day, he would have gone to hell. He had to see, he had to see the literal crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his response on the cross to get saved. Hmm. Okay? So some people have to go through that. Go, go through that. But in the process you have to see. And that's where Romans 8 and verse 28 comes. You have to believe that. No. You are a child of God. 828. Yeah, 828. For and we know that all things work together. It doesn't say good things work together. All things, the good, the evil, the ugly, the bad, all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. It all works together. And I'll let you look at that. Another verse also I will give you. That is Psalm 105 and verse 16 and 17 onwards and 19. Moreover, he called for a famine in the land and destroyed all the provision of bread. Who did this? God. Mm. But before he did it, what did he do? He He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. How did he send a man? 
Who do you think that God sends his servant as a slave? Sold by his brothers. God was the one who ordained it. He orchestrated the entire set of things. He's, and how was his life? They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. In this entire process, okay, there are so many people involved. There are ten brothers involved. Okay. Then there are the slave traders involved. Potiphar involved. Potiphar's household involved. Nobody is being tested. Only Joseph is being tested. Only one person is being tested. Because only one person has a promise. Nobody has a promise. You see, only those who have promises will be tested. Yes. It's a test of your promise. And we have been given a promise. If you overcome as I overcame, you shall reign with me. So we will be tested. Those who have believed these promises will suddenly realize that life is a test. Will you be worthy to rule with me? Look at that. Word of the Lord tested him. And verse 20, see what it says. When the time came, the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let Let him him go free. But that's not what. What does it say? He made him lord. He made him lord of his house and the ruler of all his possessions. Why? Why did he make him? Because he passed the test. Wow. The king doesn't know. God knows. Mm -hmm. So the heart of the king is in the hand of God. Mm. He's the one who is actually moving the heart of the king and says, you got the right man for the job. (laughs) But what he made him the right man for the job, it is those 13 years and how he reacted to it. How he reacted to it. So sometimes we need to realize, sometimes we need to realize when a person or somebody goes through something and he or she is a man or a woman of God. We have to be very careful how we react. And through it all we will see Joseph's reaction was right. He never reacted. And through it all you will see Jesus even on the cross. He never reacts wrongly. That is what we are talking about. Being. Let's again go to Matthew 5.45. 5. Okay. That is the whole thing. Matthew 5, 45. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. So how do I become sons of God? for Or a son of God. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. Saints reign on the just and on the unjust. A simple thing. That's who God is. I mean, if we were God, we will never let the sun rise on the unjust. We will let him live in darkness. Let light be on it. And we will claim a promise. There were three days of darkness in Egypt and there was a light in Israel. That is the way it should be. God says, no. God says. We will ask God, why would he send rain on the unjust? Rain in the terms of blessing. Don't we see all the wicked people prospering? Why would he? Because God says, that is who I am. I am good. So I am good to everybody. Okay. If you are good only to certain set of people, you are not good. You are not good. Goodness is not your character. Goodness is not your character. If goodness is your nature, you are good to everybody. Okay, That's why he got a separate day called the day of judgment. If you are only patient with good people, you are not patient. You are not patient. The Bible says God was patient during the times of Noah. Noah. 
where there was only eight people who were good, the rest were all wicked. Hmm. How can you be so patient with wicked people? Because that's what I am. Repentance. That is what I am. Okay, that is what I am. So you need to realize through all this process, what is God doing? If we understand what he's trying to teach us, to become like him. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Okay, imagine Jesus has been sitting there for 2,000 years. And the apostles thought they would come in his their time. Patiently waiting. What is he patient with? Good people? No, he's being patient with the wicked people. And most of the people in the world are wicked. Even the people saved are wicked. And he's patient. Because in the process he's doing a lot of stuff. Unless we get this picture, we'll be impatient. And we will also cry like the souls in heaven. How long? Lord God says it. <laughs> what are you waiting for? More people to die and come here. They will be martyred. Lord, what God says, that's it. He's waiting. Wicked people will live, kill righteous people. And they will come home. I'm waiting. Their sin is filling. Their righteousness being filled. Two things are happening at the same time. Like I said, no, that's another question I said. Unless you look at eternity, yeah. you will never understand life on earth. That's right. We don't see eternity. We will not, like Paul, could see eternity. And see life on earth in the light of eternity. When he looked at eternity, and he looked at suffering on earth, he says momentary afflictions. Only a man who has seen eternity will be able to talk about a life of suffering as momentary afflictions. And it is true. Life on earth is just a moment compared to eternity. So suffering on earth is just momentary afflictions. But you will not see it unless your mind is focused on eternity. Hmm. Eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever. There's no time. No time at all. We can have that question. Yeah, question number 21. 21. I ask myself every day, where do I have my eyes fixed today? Mm. Are they on the things of this life or are they on the things of eternity? Do you agree it is extremely important that we do the proper refusing and choosing if we are to honor God in the way we live? Then the second part says, I always ask, how will I enjoy heaven? Is it wrong to pray to the Lord and let him know I'm ready to go to heaven? Am I being presumptuous about going to heaven? I believe I'm secure in Christ. Is it wrong to presume this? Okay, we'll look at the first part. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I ask myself every day, where do I have my eyes fixed today? Are they on things of this life or are they on things of eternity? Do you agree it is extremely important that we do proper refusing and choosing? The first thing we need to realize is, technically speaking, you need to have eyes on both places. Meaning? If your eyes is not fixed on eternity, you will not be faithful to God on earth. Amen. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Mm. You will not occupy till he comes. Yes. He's got a, otherwise he would have taken you out the day you got saved. saved. Why did he leave you behind? Because he's making you into something. But you will become that only if your eyes is fixed on eternity. Mm. Okay. Moses was the most faithful of God's servants in his house. How did he become faithful? Because he saw him that was invisible. invisible. Yes, He was not looking at any temporary rewards. He was looking at eternal rewards. But because he was looking at eternal rewards, he became the most faithful steward of God on earth. So that is how you work. That's how you look. 
If you don't look at eternity, you won't be faithful now. You won't be faithful now. Because if your eye is not on eternity, you can always compromise on so many things on earth. Yeah. What difference does it make? Exactly. Nobody has to be righteous like that. I don't have to be righteous like that. I am not accountable to anybody. It's okay. But if your eyes is fixed on eternity, it immediately has an impact on your life on earth. Amen. So you have to keep your eyes on both. So if you come to the, you definitely, therefore, there is refusing and choosing. Then I always ask, I will enjoy heaven. Is it wrong to pray to the Lord and let him know I am ready to go to heaven? No. In a way, meaning if you're asking for your death, no. Mm-hmm. And you're like Elijah. Mm-hmm. We don't. But we are, every day we are ready for heaven. Absolutely. We should be prepared mm-hmm. every day for heaven. I mean, mm-hmm. if today is the day the call comes, uh, like Pastor Vijay's usual statement, have short accounts with God. Short balanced accounts with God. Okay? But you, uh, you don't want to go before your work is over. Amen. Ultimately, Ultimately, uh, let us let us think about it this way. Okay, you are going on vacation from your workplace. You got three months vacation. Three months vacation, and the day before you are to leave, your boss calls up and says, "There is an emergency. Can you postpone your vacation by one day?" What will you say? One day for 90 days. Mm, one day's nothing. Mm-hmm. What is one day? Mm-hmm. What is one day? Oh yeah, no problem. 89 days. He says, I will redo your tickets, everything. Don't worry about any loss, everything. We just need you for one more day. Okay. That is what we need to realize. When you are looking at eternity, mm-hmm. one day extra here, one year extra here is nothing. Okay. Yeah, that's what Paul, can I have that portion where he says, uh, no? if you ask me, I want to go. Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, the last three yeah. verses. One, okay. mm. no, 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 oh. I'm constrained with the two verses, right, Pastor? Yeah, that is verse 21. Oh, yeah. yeah. 21 onwards, okay. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, <laughs> this was a strange man. Okay, where he says, you know what this is? This saying is in English today. Heads I win, tails you lose. lose. Exactly. Either way, I win. Mm-hmm. Let us toss. Mm-hmm. Heads I win, tails you lose. So either way, I win. That's what he's saying. For me to live is Christ, and to die is again. Yeah. For if I live on in the flesh, this will mean <laughs> fruit from my labor. Mm-hmm. And what shall I choose? I cannot tell. He says, I'm caught between these two. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, always. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That is exactly the answer to this question. If you want the answer to that question, it is there in Scripture. He says, you know what? If you ask me, I want to be with Christ. Who doesn't want to be with Christ? I want to be with Christ. Okay. But caught between two. But I also have a job entrusted by Christ. That is to build you up and offer you as a pure virgin to Christ. So press between. No press between. I want to be with him. But I have to finish this work. That's what I say. But nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. See, he says, if, you'll, if the decision was left to me alone, 
I would go to Christ. <laughs> But then I have to look at you. Mm. You say, you know what, for your sake, it's better that I stay back. Mm. Can I can help you more. But my own sake, if you had asked me, I would try to depart to be with God. So that is how you have to look at life. This is, this is, this is a man who understood what Christ's work was. No wonder he wrote the letters. God used, he understood it. That's the, actually, that question is answered with these verses. Question 21 is answered by Paul's response. Okay. And, uh, you can, you don't, you don't have to be presumptuous. Okay. The minute you are saved, honestly, you are ready to go to heaven. Mm. Rewards are a different thing. Everybody's ready to go to heaven. You won't be a misfit there. You're going to your father's house and he will greet you. But the thing is that he is coming and is talking about an eternity and about reigning and reward and all those things. So he is giving us time to prepare. But that does not mean, does not mean, okay, you need to understand uh, this one thing. Nobody is writing an exam to pass it. You have already passed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You already passed. <laughs> okay? You are, you are writing exams only for your rewards, not for passing. Everybody who's put their trust in Jesus Christ, who repented, believed, saved, he has already passed. He has already entered into the kingdom of God. Now in the kingdom of God, there are eternal rewards. There are eternal rewards. Now we are talking about that. Paul, when he is talking about his, okay, his, he says, I want to depart. In chapter 1. But in chapter 3, he says, I know one thing, I haven't reached there yet. Yes. If you want to talk about rewards, if you talk about longings, I want to go. If you want to talk about rewards, I don't want to go. I'm not ready yet. Press on. <laughs> I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on. <laughs> for rewards, for the goal, the reward, okay, I am not ready yet. But by Timothy, second Timothy is ready. Yes. He's, I have finished. Mm. I have finished my race and I'm ready for my reward too. And he says, very soon I will depart. My departure is near. So that is that completion we has to come. No, we should never leave with the unfinished task. Okay, look at a man. Okay. We have three men in the book of Genesis. Okay. Turn to Genesis chapter 25. Okay. Verse 5 and 6. 7, 8. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had while he was still living. He sent them eastward away from Isaac his son to the country of the east. Verse 7. This is a sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last, died in a good age, an old man, full of years, and was gathered to his people. Did you see how he died? He settled his home. Settled his home before he died. There's no conflict. This is for Ishmael. This is for Isaac. Okay? Gave them all. Big fat gifts. Sent them all away. Settled his home. According to the purpose of God. Did Isaac settle his home? No. Isaac did not settle his home. 
Jacob settled. Yes. Go to Genesis end, you will see Jacob settled his soul. So that's what Bible is talking about. When you die, you should have settled. Whatever is in your hands, your duty, your job, you settle. Settle. That's one of the things which I ask my God. Like, Lord, when the time comes, I should have handed over the church to Pastor Vijay where he doesn't have to worry about anything. Which is my worry. It's not to be passed on to him. He should have his worries. Not that I passed on my worries also to him. I should have settled it and handed it over to him so that he has his own trials, testings. But I am not passing my trials and testings to him. That's what Paul is telling the Ephesus church. I have given you everything. Mm -hmm. Three years, day and night, the full gospel, nobody's blood is on man. Now your job is to sustain it. Mm. I am not guilty of anybody. Wolves will come from among you. They will try to draw sheep after. They will do all kind of things. But I have done my part. Okay, And that's what Abraham did. And that's what Jacob did. That's what Isaac did not do. So though we may have a longing to be with Christ, we should not depart without not settling. Settling. No, settling. You know? Settling. And that's, Paul has settled these issues. Peter has settled everything. And they are ready to go. They are ready to go. Elijah was very depressed and he wanted to go before his time. And God said, no, you don't even understand. Your work is not over. You've got a lot of work to do. Another generation has to be raised. Leadership has to be raised. And then when he finishes his task, God takes him in glory. Sends chariots of fire to take him. And then he will come back again and finish the work. Okay, That's how you have to look. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, another very important question. This is again got to do with assurance. <coughs> this is question number 17. <clears throat> how do you know you have the Spirit of God in you? We cannot see the Holy Spirit. We cannot see Jesus. But I was baptized in tongues on Friday when both your wife and you prayed. But how do I know it is real? I know I have peace like I have never had before in 22 years. But how do we know that the Holy Spirit is in us? Okay, let me give you that words from Luke. Uh, if you ask, uh, Luke 11.30. 11.30. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Okay. One of the fundamental things which you need to understand is this. The nature of God. What did you ask God? It's another place. Uh, let's look at verse 12 also. Yeah, 12, 11 and 12. That is what. 11 and 12. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Hmm. No. If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Look at what Jesus is saying. If you fathers being evil, verse 13, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the simple question is, what did you ask God? The, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Mm. Do you think he'll give you something else? Mm. No. Mm. Will he give you something else? Mm. If you evil fathers <laughs> know how to give your children good, good gifts, gifts, how much more your heavenly. This is where you have to be. See, everything works by faith. And faith, 
Your, your, your trust is not in your faith. Your trust is in the object of your faith. And God is good all the time. He's always good. And if you ask your father for the Holy Spirit, what you receive from the father is the Holy Spirit. You will not receive anything else. He will only give you the Holy Spirit. Some people may delay in getting it, the fullness, the baptism of the tongues because of some other blocks or anything. But if you have asked the Father when you get it, you will be very sure it is the Holy Spirit because he will not, not give you an evil spirit. Amen. Because if a father, when his son asks for bread, will not give him a stone Amen. or a snake because he asks for a fish. And you being evil, when do you ask your Father in heaven for the Holy Spirit, he will not give you an evil spirit. That is a fundamental premise you have to take. Let's go back to that question. <clears throat> okay? We cannot see the Holy Spirit. We cannot see Jesus. But I was baptized in tongues on Friday when both your wife and you prayed. But how do I know it is real? By faith. Mm. It's by faith. You ask for the Holy Spirit. You ask for the gift. You got it. You got it. Now exercise it by faith. Mm. Okay? Because there are, yes, there are false tongues on the other side. But you did not go to a false god. Mm. You went to the right God. You went to your Father in heaven. You asked for the Holy Spirit. You asked for a gift. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 30, uh, yeah, 12, 31. 1231, I think. Okay. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Okay. Who told you? God asked you. God asked you. God has you to desire best gifts. Okay? It's God who asked. So it's according to God's this command mm. or God's desire. You decide. What did God give you? Mm-hmm. He's from God. Yes, so you never have to. And then if you go to Romans 14, righteousness. Mm. No, that is Romans 14. 15. Yeah. 17. 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but what it is? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now go back to that question. I had peace like never before. What does it say? Okay. What does she say? I was baptized. I have peace like I never had in 22 years. What is the kingdom of God? Peace. Why do you have peace? Because you are right. What does righteousness mean? You are right with God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right? Like in a home. Like let's say a home, a dad, mom, and let us say three children. And let's imagine this child, father, mother, and two siblings. She's 22 years old. Okay? Your relationship with dad is good. You have peace. Your relationship with mom is good. You have peace. You have a relationship with your siblings. You have faith. There's no conflict at all. How is your life at home? Peace. Mm. Why? Because you have a right standing, standing with your father, father, right standing with your mother, mm. right standing with your siblings, your mm. brother or sister. Therefore, you have peace. Mm. That is what God does for us. You cannot have peace without righteousness. To have peace with God, you need to have a right standing with God. And the only way we will have a right standing with God, going back to the earlier questions, is repenting and putting trust in God. Immediately we have a right standing. So that is why Bible says, if you sin, repent, confess, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. When you are cleansed of all unrighteousness, what do you become? 
righteous. What does it happens? You have a right standing with God. So instead of condemnation, you actually have peace. The devil cannot condemn you. What do you have? You have peace. Righteousness, peace, and joy in whom? In the Holy Spirit. That is the key. In the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a realm. Like your home is a house. But the house is not the home. Your home is in the house. Your home is in the house. But the, your home is in the house. Beautiful. But the house is not, not your home. home. Amen. <laughs> because you can go on a vacation in the car. It is your home on moving. Mm-hmm. And you can have absolute peace and joy. Sometimes a moving car, the home is more happier than at the other place. <laughs> okay. So every house is not a home. But every home is in a house. Or a tent or whatever, or a cave or whatever. So that is what he's talking about. The kingdom of God is a realm. And you can live in this, in that realm now, in the body, in the physical, you can live in that realm. How is that realm governed? It's first governed by righteousness. You and I need to have, that's Romans uh, 5, 1 and 2. 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Faith in what? In whom in Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You are declared righteous. Justified meaning righteous. Just as if we had never sinned. You have been declared righteous because of Christ's death. You believed on that. Heroes again. We have peace with God. So what does it mean? I have a right standing with God. And now... I have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I always have access to God. If you have a right, if you see, when, see, when I was unbelievably, I don't want even to call myself naughty. I think when I was small, class one and all, I wasn't even naughty, I was criminal. <laughs> what do you talk about a boy who is five years old, who cuts the leg of his classmate with a blade and runs away and hides under the bed? That's me. Okay. Nice um, uh, northeastern kids, no? You know, very fair and nice thigh. I did one slice into this thing. <laughs> and then the blood started popping out. I ran for my life straight out of the class. <laughs> the teacher was there. I ran, reached my home and hid under the table until my under the bed until my father came searching for me. <laughs> <laughs> now when I left in the morning, at the right standing with my God. Little later, there were no standing at all with my father, not with God, with my father. So whenever children are mischievous, you know what happened? They have no peace. Okay? And they are not able to stand. You know what Bible says? Come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace and receive mercy and grace. grace. What is verse 2 talking about? When you have a right standing with God, we have boldness. Mm -hmm. We have boldness. Mm -hmm. And children are very bold. When Mm -hmm. they have no issues with their parents, they are very bold and they will come and ask, can I have this? Mm -hmm. And God says, come that. Where does boldness come? Because we have a right standing with God because of Christ. Come boldly. And what do we find? In this grace we stand every day. That's all we need. We don't need anything more than grace. We need grace. Even to Paul, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. God says, you can stand in my grace today. 
If you are standing, let me ask you this simple logical question, hypothetical logical question. If you are standing in, we have access into this grace in which we stand. If you are standing in grace, where are you standing? In Christ. In the holy of holies. That's where grace is. Oh, Come okay. only confidently. Wow. Holy place behind the veil. If I am standing in grace today, actually spiritually I am seated in, in Christ in the most holy place. That's what it means. And then when you look into your future, what is that? We are not hoping. We are not hoping for the glory of God. We are rejoicing in, in, the, in the hope, hope of the glory. We know we have the glory yeah, of the God. Assurances there. Assurance yeah, there. Therefore we are rejoicing by faith. Everywhere what is common? Faith. By faith, I look into my past, peace. By faith, I look into my present, grace. By faith, I look into my future. I'm rejoicing in the glory. That is what the Bible is talking about. Righteousness, peace, and, and joy. joy. What is the joy in the Holy Spirit? Ever the glory that is set before me. Christ in me is the hope of my glory. That is what is the kingdom of God. And it's a reality you live in every day. Every day. And it doesn't matter where you are, like mm -hmm. Paul. You're in a palace or you're in a prison. This is the reality. You take the kingdom wherever you go. So it does not matter. If you go into a palace, the kingdom comes there. If you go into a prison, the kingdom comes there. Because it's a realm. It's a spiritual realm in which you live. And it's comforting. It's very, very And God says, live like that. And what are the commands he gives us? To see that we live like that, which are the blocks? First thing, do not worry. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. command. Do not worry. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Okay. Do not worry. <laughs> Be anxious for nothing. It's the third one. I forgot connected but with that. The same thing. But in all things with prayer. No, no, that is there. That's that's what we have to do. But we are talking about attitudes. Okay? Okay, attitudes. We have to be very careful about this. These are not suggestions. God doesn't give, kings don't give certain suggestions. See, they give commands. And he says, if you don't obey my command, then you will miss what is there for you today. You can live in my presence. That is grace. You live by grace. You are not able to experience my grace, though it is all around you. Why? Because you're worrying. Okay? That is uh, Matthew 6, 33, we know it's 34. 34. 34. I think 30 okay. onwards, I think. It's the Gentile sick after all this. Yeah. Like Do not worry about, about tomorrow. tomorrow yeah. mm -hmm. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. Most of our worries are about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Will it rain? Will everybody come to church? Will they come on time? <laughs> Are yeah, tomorrow is tomorrow. You have any issues today? No, today is everything is settled. Why don't you live one day at a time? No, Peter will worry about tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. Peter, God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Are you okay today? Amen. <laughs> Sufficient. <laughs> Sufficient. Okay. So, today's troubles have been handled. All has been handled. Okay. That's how you live. And be anxious for nothing. Mm. Be anxious for nothing. That's what the Bible says. When God says be anxious for nothing, be anxious for nothing. Amen. Like, Lord, please, can I be anxious for a few things? God says, no. I said mm. nothing. Where does it all come from? It comes from the fact that God is your father. God is good. And is always good. And he never changes. Mm. Okay, that is, it is not, I am anxious for nothing. You know why? Because I am good. No. 
Because he is good. I'm anxious for nothing because I'm faithful. No, because he is faithful. Even when I'm unfaithful, he is still faithful. That is what God means by says his rain falls upon the just and the unjust. The righteous and the unrighteous. Therefore, you know what? I don't have to be anxious. If that's how he takes care of his enemies, how much more he will take care of his children. That's where it comes. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, I think there's one last question uh, which is related to being sure again. We're talking about yeah, the third one was do not fear. Uh, yes. Yeah, do not fear. Okay, yes. Three don't commands. Don't, don't fear. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't, don't worry. worry. And you will experience the grace of God and the peace of God and the joy of God. Okay. Uh, this yes. is question number 12, part 2. Okay. Mm. Um, your wife always prays. We do not want to stay in the order codes, but we want to enter into the Holy of Holies. That inner codes and the Holy of Holies. No, no, I didn't get it. Question this number? 12, past 12, 12, 12, part 12, 12, 12, 12, part 2. 12, 12, part 2. Your wife always prays. We do not want to stay in the outer courts. We mm. want to enter into the inner courts and the Holy of Holies. Mm. How does this relate to intercession? I'm not sure. I think I hear when I'm in tune with God. Would you say that I have entered into the Holy of Holies or not necessarily? See, when we, when the Bible talks about entering into this, a very big question. Okay. And we are invited to enter into the, okay, the invitation is from God. You need to realize, okay, let us go. <clears throat> the thing is that the blocks to entering into the Holy of Holies, the first block is the law. Mm. As long as you look at God through the veil of the law, the veil covers. You have not entered. Though the veil was torn, the physical veil was torn, you can create your own imaginary veil and be on this side. That's what the Bible says. In Christ, the veil is taken away. Veil is created. There's another words, it's a very powerful verse in the book of Hebrews 10, 19. If I, yeah, 10, 19. 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having the boldness to enter the holiest, Okay, holy of holies, holiest by the blood of oh, Jesus. Jesus. Okay, we stop there. That's our issue. That's where we, we struggle. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. We think about his blood, but we forget about his flesh. You cannot enter into the holy of holies just by the blood. The blood only cleanses you. Cleanses you. It's like it purifies you. But you enter through the veil that is his flesh. Okay? That is what the Bible is talking about, taking communion without recognizing his blood and his body. His body. His flesh. Okay? It is his flesh, not my flesh. We go through his flesh because in his flesh he suffered. In his flesh he suffered. It was not just his blood was for the remission of my sins. But why did he suffer in the body? Why did he suffer in the body? Okay, why did he suffer in the body? So we have to appropriate, that's what I said, it's a too big a question. It's too big a question. You want to understand this fully? You have to read uh, uh, Hebrews 9 and 2 where it talks about if you, I'll give you those verses in Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. 
verse 6 or verse 6, 7. Yeah. Or let's go to verse 7. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing his services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people, sins committed in ignorance. Okay. And the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Mm-hmm. Okay. They could, the high, only the high priest would go. And he could only go once. Blood for himself and for the others. Okay. But when Christ went in, the Bible says, okay, when Christ went in, let's go to verse 12. Christ came as high priest of good things to come, the greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven, okay? Not made with hands, but that is not of this creation, but with not, not with the blood of goats and calves, with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean and the sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. Okay, so you need to understand how Jesus went behind the veil with his own blood. Okay, so the blood is the first thing that cleanses us, cleanses our conscience. Our conscience has to be cleansed. It's the blood. The second part is that we go through his body. So there is his body. That's what the new and the living way. And if you look at uh, First Peter four, verses one and two. Mm-hmm. Verses one and two. Okay, First Peter four one and two. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, flesh arm yourself also mm-hmm. with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Mm-hmm. That is what it is talking about. The second part is talking about is that you know what you have to you if I have to go through into the holy of holies I can only go through the flesh of Jesus Christ the body of Jesus Christ meaning I have to believe in the baptism mm. believe in the baptism I have to reckon yourself dead reckon yourself dead. Mm. I cannot enter in my flesh because no flesh will enter into God's presence. Impossible to enter into your flesh. But I still have to enter. How do I enter? Through the flesh of Jesus Christ. In that flesh there was no sin. In his body there was no sin at all. Absolutely. If there was one body in human history in which there was no sin, which overcame sin from the beginning till the end, it was the body of Jesus Christ. So I enter into his presence through his blood, which cleanses. If you look at uh, Hebrews uh, 10, 19, 20, 21, you will see. It will talk about the same thing. Okay. Hebrews 10. <coughs> yeah. New living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Having a high priest over the house. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It is all through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Not only his blood, but also his body. Mm -hmm. Body. 
Okay. Please remember, that's how it works. Because when God looks at it, I was crucified in Christ. Yes. Buried with Christ and raised up with Christ. Yes. That's the only way I can enter into his presence. Yeah. When I enter into his presence, that's when real prayer takes place. And God says, says come me. No? So not only the blood of Jesus Christ, but also the body of Jesus Christ. Because when God sees us, he sees us only in Christ. In Christ. In him. Okay. So going back to the question, that is intercession. Okay. See, these are all spiritual realities. Don't look for a physical, fleshly experience. Mm-hmm. These are spiritual realities and you have to take it by faith. That I can never in this body enter into God's presence. Because no flesh will ever enter into God's presence. But I can enter into God's presence through Christ's body. Through Christ's body. In the spirit. Through Christ. That's why the Bible will always say, I don't know whether I went in the body or the spirit. It was always in the spirit. Mm. Always in the spirit. Okay, in the spirit. But in Christ. The spirit takes you in Christ. We get there. Holy Lord, how does this relate to intercession? I am not sure. I think I hear when I am in tune with God. Would you say I have entered in the Holy of Holies or not necessarily? Okay, so please, you know, entering into the Holy of Holies also, it is not easy. Mm. It's a process. It is not. It's a process. Okay, like you know, if you knew the old Testament tabernacle, you had an outer courts. Mm-hmm. Okay, first at the gate, every Gentile was stopped. Gentiles later in the temple, they had the, the court of the uh, Gentiles, and it is written over there: only at the cost of your own life, you will dare to enter in the court of the Jews. A Gentile would be killed if he entered into that area. So basically, saying. It was close to the Gentile, the tabernacle. You turn your back to the world because the gate was at the east, the sun rises in the east. You turn to the gods of this world, enter. And 11 tribes had only that much, courtyard, outer courts. Then you go into the holy place, which only one tribe. Then the most holy, only the high priest once a year. This is how the division took place. So when you are talking about, the New Testament says, we are the temple of the living God. We have our body, our flesh, which is the biggest stumbling block. <laughs> okay. Then you have to cut through your soul, which is the holy place. And then only you will cut through into your spirit. When you have cut through into your spirit, and you are in tune with your spirit, with God who is the spirit, you have entered the holy of holies. You hear from God. Because mm-hmm. when God speaks, he does not speak to your soul. He speaks to your spirit. And that is revelation. You know in your spirit God has spoken to you. Mm-hmm. It's the soul that deciphers it and lets you know. But God speaks to your spirit. spirit. Wow. And for that, you don't have to convince anybody. And it is difficult to convince. That's why the Bible says the spiritual man judges all oh, things, but he's never rightly judged. They will not understand what he's saying. Everybody Jesus says, I have to go to Jerusalem and die. And nobody understands because they're all carnal men. <laughs> they cannot understand. He's everybody, even Peter says, everybody is trying to stop. Nobody's understanding because it's a revelation from God to the Son. It's a revelation. Nobody knows about this. None of the demonic entities have any clue about it. Otherwise, they would not have killed him, <laughs> the Bible says. He has received a revelation. He's speaking that revelation. Nobody understands it. 
But you know, because you heard it in your spirit. So it does not mean that if you have a revelation, probably that's why God told Paul, the things I have told you, don't tell anybody, nobody will understand it. So no, don't waste your time. There will be only misunderstanding if you tell the people the things I told you. I'm not allowed to speak it. I'm not allowed to speak it. So that's where you need to realize. And some of the revelations which God gives you will be for you and you alone. It does not have or sometimes should not be shared with anybody. With anybody. It's not that everything God tells you is for others. It's some many things are just for you. But it is in the spirit. It is not in the soul. The soul is the holy place. There is the shoe bread and the light and the can. All those things are over there. But there is artificial light. Your soul can search scripture and understand a lot of things of God which are absolutely right. Mm. But the light. But if you entered in the most holy place, there was no light there. And the Bible says, I will speak to you. And the holy, holy man never spoke. The holy of holies man never spoke. God spoke. In the soul you will have so many questions to God. In the spirit you never speak. That's he speaks it. to you. That's it. You never speak. I have never spoken in my spirit to God. He speaks to me. In my soul I may speak to God and may receive an answer from God in the spirit. In the spirit it is God who speaks to you. And you know immediately. And you know that I don't have to prove this to anybody. Like, how do you know you are saved? <laughs> I know. <laughs> prove it. But I can't prove it to you. <laughs> how do you know? Because of the Spirit of God who is in my spirit, I know. I know. These are things which are not like scientifically proven things. What do you know? You don't believe it doesn't make any difference to me. <laughs> what difference does it make to me that you don't believe I am saved? Right? So there are certain things. That's why you need to understand. You know? And in prayer, in intercession, we keep on praying, we keep on praying, we keep on praying. But in the spirit, certain prayers, God will say, I heard you. I heard you. And immediately after that, you never pray. You praise him. Because he says, I have answered you. Well, mm. answered you. That's how the prayer shifts. As long as you haven't heard in your spirit a specific answer to a specific prayer, you keep praying. But the minute, that doesn't mean the answer comes immediately, but you know it has been answered. And you've heard in your spirit God has answered. You just thank him for it. Okay. Now, I'll give you an example and we will close. How these things happen in the spirit. Turn with me to the gospel according to John. John chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread and these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself he knew what he would do. do. Simple yeah. question, how did he know? He heard from God. That's it, over. He already knows what he's going to do. He's already heard from God. Okay, so because he heard from God, the Bible go further down. Bible look at that. Okay, Philip answered one of the disciple, Andrew. Okay, leave all that. There's a lad over here. Jesus said, "Make the people sit down." There was much grass. The men sat down in number about five thousand. Verse eleven. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given, thanks, he didn't pray. 
because you already received the answer because you already received the answer yeah you don't pray after you receive the answer he's not asking he's already knows he's already prayed <laughs> he's already heard there will be a crowd today morning devotion he already heard there will be a crowd today you have to feed them supply will be very less don't worry about it he never worries anyway <laughs> okay so he already know what he was going to do so he just to test them he asked them what shall we do let's feed them and immediately they come with economics commerce everything and all he just give it to me and he doesn't pray mm-hmm. why doesn't he pray because he has already heard the answer to his prayer in his spirit so what does he do he thanks god he thanks his father what is he thanking for he's thanking for the prayer that is answered what do you th- what do you thank somebody um, peter uh, can you give me a pen peter gives me thank you peter thank you is an answer to a request that has been oh i made a request he answered the request and in answer to the request i say thank you okay so when you have heard in your spirit i have answered you stop asking that means you don't believe what he has said stop praising <laughs> you don't believe just start praising look in the case of jehoshaphat the word of the lord comes to the prophet Absolutely. battle belongs to the lord don't worry odds are against you don't worry about it all the lord will fight your battles don't worry the battle belongs to the lord if they have really heard from god should they go and pray again they don't pray what do they do they praise they praise why did they praise because they have received the answer have mm. they seen the answer no. no but god has said if god has said it is as good as done mm. as good as done if they again continue for three more days of prayer they won't win because now it has become unbelief, unbelief. yes it's become unbelief you don't believe yes. what i said it has become unbelief you know that's how it works so when you pray when you intercede keep on interceding keep on praying because some prayers will take a long time to answer it's not because your prayer is weak or your prayer is not being heard it is because there are so many complications on the other side which god is dealing with permutation combination many lives intertwined wrong or the the wheat and the tares okay growing god, together they're mm. growing together mm. if so, shall we pull out the tares god says no. no the reason under the ground their roots are intertwined mm-hmm. lives are intertwined mm-hmm. lord save this person causes i will save but so many lives are intertwined if i save this person now there will be chaos and calamity in that house because so many lives are intertwined so i am working on him mm-hmm. working on detaching 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 then at the right time he will get saved and then there won't be that kind of conflict over there I will deliver it. So God is working. That's why the Bible says men should always pray and, and not, not lose, lose heart. heart. Mm. But the, at the end of it he says but when the son of man comes will with the faith? answer will he find faith? Will he find faith? Or did you give up? Mm. So there is intercession which we never give up and there is intercession supplication prayer where we have heard stop and thank God. Thank, thank you Lord. God. Thank That's you Lord. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. Okay? That's mm. how it happens. Yes, Pastor Vijay, we'll wow, close. That's awesome. Praise God. Okay. So we'll close, Pastor Vijay. Would you close in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for this time that you've blessed us yeah. with. You're awesome, God. Lord, I, we just want to rest in you this evening, oh Lord. So many of your people, Lord, going through so many situations. But Lord, you are always in control. You're the sovereign God. You know everything. You see the end from the beginning, Lord. And you said in, our, in your word, all things work together for the good of those who love God. 
and who are thee called according to your purpose. And therefore, we just want to hold on to you. And as we heard this evening, O oh Lord, we just want to be like David, Father, like a weaned child on, on his mother's breast. Lord, we just want to rest in you, O oh Lord. And I pray, Father, grant us that kind of a faith this evening, O oh Lord. Let there be simplicity in our faith, O oh Lord Jesus. Even as we heard in this, this morning, O oh Lord, let us not be diverted with a pure and a simple devotion to our Lord like a child. Thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts this evening, O Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen everyone's faith, those who are listening and those who will be listening to these uh, answers in the days to come, O Lord Jesus. Strengthen them in their faith. And I pray, Father, that we will stay on the straight and narrow path even until the end. Thank you once again for this time. And even as we go back to our homes, O Lord, take us safely. Commit everyone into your hands, O Lord. And if you choose to give us yet another day in the land of the living, I pray, Father, that all of us will be found in your house on time, to listen to you, to praise you, to worship you. Thank you. We praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 See you all tomorrow. Hallelujah. In person and online. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Pastor. Yes, Pastor.